Anthony, was that an intentional open choice by you? It was indeed because uh, you're not the one feeling pain. I am feeling pain, and we'll get into that, I think, a little later. Yeah, we will. Anthony came to work out with me this morning, boys and girls, and I wish we could do three hours on it. Instead, (laughs) we are going to talk about NFL Championship Weekend, one that actually breaks quite well for the commanders in terms of their coaching search. We'll talk about that at 5 o'clock with Michael Phillips. Uh, We will get into Anthony and I's adventure this morning coming up later this hour. Uh, ESPN Seth Walter as well. 6 o'clock is when we're going to air the conversation that he and I had about an hour ago. Really, really interesting on the analytics side of the Lions decision-making, et cetera, uh, and just kind of how analytics are really used in these key coaching situations. We'll get into it uh, all over the next three hours. Also, it's a Wizards game day, so Dave will just... Two more times, one after the Super Bowl, the other one's today. It's time for First and Ten. It's time to get the breakdown started. First up, ten observations. It's First and Ten. Oh, what a championship weekend it was in the NFL. We wind up with a rematch, of course, of the Chiefs and the 49ers. Actually, the last Super Bowl week I went to was in Miami, Chiefs versus 49ers. Uh, We will be on Radio Row next week. That is very, very exciting. But the the first thing I want to point out from this championship weekend is not something that I think is number one. Number one. Did you know, dear football fans, that the Kansas City Chiefs are a defensive football team? Yes, the 2023-2024 Kansas City Chiefs have survived, gotten to this point where they where they are headed back to a fourth Super Bowl in the Patrick Mahomes era, which has lasted all of six years, because their defense is what got them here. Their offense has found itself, which is terrifying for the San Francisco 49ers next week and has been a huge problem for all the teams they've dispatched along the way, including the Ravens yesterday. But the Kansas City Chiefs defense was the seventh in the NFL in DVOA. They were second in points and yards allowed. They are, and I do not use this word lightly, great. And they did it yesterday without some of their most important pieces, including Willie Gay, their star linebacker, who would have been the best possible spy for Lamar Jackson, which is a tactic they did use at times. They just used Drew Tranquil instead, who has been great for them. Chris Jones is as good as it gets inside. Uh, Again, Tranquil in in the middle, uh, Gay in the middle, Nick Bolton in the middle. Their second level is pretty freaking good. And then on the back end, what they've done with guys like Legereus Sneed and and some non-first-rounders to solidify that secondary is is nuts like and it just goes to the fact that they might have the most underrated coach in football and maybe one of the 10 most underrated in NFL history coordinating their defense in Steve Spagnola. his resume is outrageous and it didn't work out for him as a head coach and I think everyone's kind of written him off I don't know if Spags wants to be a head coach you would think after all of this and the success that he, he's starting to get the questions of like, why isn't that dude getting head coaching looks? It didn't work out for him with the Rams in St. Louis back in the day. But damn, that guy can coach defense. They bottled up an offense that had just been crushing everybody. And they they did it with Mark Andrews back. 
Like the, the offense that crushed everybody got even better personnel-wise, theoretically. And sure, they get a little lucky on some stuff uh, and some self-inflicted wounds that Baltimore has. But I am of the belief that you can, like, sometimes, quote-unquote, unforced errors are actually quite forced. I think that there are times that a defense has you so tight by the screws that you are just in a place where you don't perform well. There's an, a level of urgency that's irrational, and you don't act in ways, uh, and you try to force it, and you wind up making mistakes because you're not you're not thinking straight. And I feel like that's what the Chiefs did to the Ravens yesterday. They're super solid all over the place. They don't miss a ton of tackles. They're good in covers. They're blanketing receivers all over the place. Their strategy is good. And so you have guys trying to do too much. And then when they do something, they're they're extra pumped about it. You know, Zay Flowers, obviously the, the target here of kind of what I'm talking about. I hate to single a kid who I think is going to be a tremendous player. Already is a tremendous player. But he's going to have a great career out. But he's a young player in his first game of that magnitude ever. And it got to him. And the Chiefs had a huge part to play in that. So I, I just think that, like, to start... Like, we're obviously going to talk about Lamar. We're going to talk about Mahomes. We're going to talk about the, the rest of this game. And then we'll talk about the NFC game on the backhand here of first and 10. And there's a lot of huge takeaways from this very, very interesting pair of games. But to me, you're doing a disservice to intelligent football people and to really the Chiefs and the reality of who they are. The, the storylines are sexier on offense for any number of reasons. But this version of Kansas City is a defensive team. And they are awesome. And we'll see what they do against Kyle and what Kyle can cook up in two weeks. But damn, damn, that defense is really, really good. And we talked about it all year. And now the receivers can catch and they're going to the Super Bowl. Number two. Number two. Um, Lamar. I feel a little bit bad for Lamar Jackson, but there's also the reality of what he has been in the playoffs, which is not the same guy as in the regular season. You face better defenses. It is reasonable on some level for your numbers to come down. I think that's what makes the great ones the greatest is that they elevate when the stakes get higher instead, even though the competition is better. And for Lamar, it has just gone the other way. Teams seem to strategize differently or maybe they're just more capable. Um, they, they're, they're the better team. They have the better players. They can do more exotic stuff. Like there's... I don't know exactly what it is. I, I do think that number three, we're going to get to the main culprit yesterday. But at the end of the day, when he's your MVP, like you, you're relying on him to do better. And he missed a bunch of throws and um, they put the game for better or for worse in his hands and, and they lost. And they had one of their worst offensive performances in a long time. Now, I also think it's really important to point out. And to me, this is like if you take anything out of number two here in first and 10, it's this. Just because someone has it doesn't mean they can't. And that's the nature of sports. And it doesn't mean that they will either. But it doesn't mean that they weren't capable. Lamar Jackson's capable of winning a Super Bowl. I would have no problem, you know, obviously, you know, contractually, whatever. What does it mean for the rest of your football team? But, like, if Lamar Jackson's your quarterback, you have a chance. And that is, like, he, that, that is a level that seven, eight guys in the league have. Maybe even fewer than that. We're just based off their presence alone. You got a shot to make it into late January, early February. And Lamar Jackson is undoubtedly one of those guys. He is going to be deserving of a second straight, or a second, uh, not second straight, but second MVP. He is a dude. But, but, he is not the dude in the same way that, like, Mahomes is a dude. 
And I think that leads us to the biggest problem I had and the reason why Baltimore lost yesterday to me. Number three. Is their play calling was abysmal. Todd Munkin is very, very good at his job. He's coached in big moments. He coached Georgia on the OC side of things to a national championship. Like, he's played for titles before. Um, But yesterday, to drop Lamar back 40 times in the game, he had 37 pass attempts, and then he had a couple of scrambles. Um, It's just unreasonable. That's not how Lamar Jackson is great. Lamar Jackson is great. Like, part of what makes Lamar great is he makes your running game better by his mere presence because the way you can put devote numbers to stopping the run changes because you have to account for him. Like, even if he's handing it off and it's not even a read option, just a little bit of a fake, like, the defense doesn't know that. They have to keep a backside defender home because if they don't, Lamar could pull it and run or the threat is there, and that changes how, how the gaps appear. And your cutback lanes and, and you know, who can scrape over and, like, all these things depending on how you want to handle him. And they had six carries with their running backs yesterday. Six. And a game that, from a game flow standpoint, was never out of reach. Like they were down 10. And so, yeah, like, are there other issues yesterday we'll talk about in a moment uh, or that, that we've already mentioned, like Zay Flowers and you know, getting that ball punched out and the taunting penalty and... Kyle Van Noy's penalty, not one a little bit more sketch, but like the Jadeveon Clowney, like that's just a boneheaded play by a vet that's got to know better. You can't, you know, get up under Mahomes' chin strap with the the crown of your helmet. It's an obvious rushing the passer. There's all this kind of stuff that contributes. It's not a single factor into why Baltimore lost, but I don't think their offensive game plan gave them a chance yesterday. And it's not that I think Todd Munkin's bad at his job. I think he did a bad job. I think he had a bad day, had a bad week. And I'm surprised that, that it got that far because if I'm John Harbaugh I come into that meeting and I'm like nah that's not what we're doing we're doing what got us here I'd be curious to know why they thought that was the best plan um Kansas City's too good for that um I think balance and and being great at what you're great at is the way forward and and it seemed like uh Baltimore kind of forgot that they were the best team in the league uh yesterday number four Number four, uh, my friend MJ Acosta from NFL Network put it excellently on Twitter. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is the boogeyman. And just he lurks and he's there and you're going to have to defeat the boogeyman to get where you want to go. And man, can that do boogie? Um, I, I don't know what to say. I started first and 10 last week talking about Mahomes. I, I There's kind of two different categories to me for GOAT. And this is not a, a an original thought. Um, but there's kind of two two separate conversations. There's like who had the greatest career of all time, and Mahomes is a decade away from being able to have that conversation. The longevity of Brady is unmatched. The things he was able to do over the course of time are unmatched. But when it comes to the peak, when it comes to like if you could have any single season of any quarterback ever, I don't know how you'd pick someone other than this dude. And I don't even know which of the last four seasons it would be. He is so money in every key situation. Some of the throws he makes, the plays he's able to create, his management of the game, his sense of the moment, it's never too big, and he is competitive as all hell. Like that dude, I mean, the pregame nonsense with Justin Tucker, like it's, it's all calculated. He knew, he knew, they knew, Kelsey and Mahomes, they knew they could get in Baltimore's head and get them off their game. They knew what they were doing. Is it annoying? Yeah, absolutely. 
Do you want everyone to just play a good, clean game? Yeah, but like, if you know you can get in your opponent's heads, that's sports. Don't be the the people on the other side who make it so easy to infiltrate your your skull. Like Mahomes is as good as anybody we've ever seen. He is third all time in playoff wins. Period. He is 28 years old. There aren't enough superlatives for this dude. And he like the other thing too is Andy Reid is his perfect muse. They are they are perfect for each other. Andy wants to be super pass happy and he found the guy that he can get away with it with. And not only can he get away with it with, it would be reckless not to use him this way. And Mahomes is completely unlocked, completely excellent, uh, and and put in positions to succeed. His creativity is is on max. And just I I could keep going. I'm not. You get it. Dude's incredible. And then last but not least on the AFC game, which is kind of on the AFC game kind of on the next two weeks, I am already tired of people complaining about Taylor Swift. She's on your TV for one second at a time. It's going to be okay. There are hundreds of millions of people around the world who adore her. Why? This isn't a music show. I'm not going to get into it. Next week, I do do think we're going to have my friend Nora Princiati, who could equally talk about Kyle Shanahan's offense and Taylor Swift, which is what makes Nora Nora. And we'll get into the phenomenon a little bit because it's Super Bowl week and it's going to be part of the story, whether you like it or not. But what I will say is complaining about it just makes you look like a noxious teenager. And as a grown man, and it's all men, as a grown man, actually, that's not true. Um, There are women who are complaining about it too. Uh, As grown adults who are complaining about the most famous person being on television for two seconds at a time, I promise you're going to be okay. Just, and not everything is for everybody. There are hundreds of millions of people that are now watching the NFL, or millions at least, tens of millions, who are watching the NFL that weren't before. That's cool. Maybe some of them will stay uh, for, for life. You got new football fans. Cool. Great. Like, just let people enjoy what they enjoy. It's not bothering you. And if it is, like, that actually says more about you than it does about them or about her or about the TV executives. If I if I was the director, I will 100% admit, I think 10% less would be way more effective. The occasional check-in, sure. Do I think it's a little excessive? Sure. She's also probably the most famous person on the planet. So, yeah, they're going to put her on camera. And I promise you, the game will be just fine. And you can enjoy it. And you don't have to complain There are no bonus points for complaining. So just keep that in mind the next two weeks. All right. Uh, We will get to the, actually, tell you what, at the the rate we're going, Anthony, we're just going to keep on rolling uh, into the NFC game. Number six. Uh, Number six, scrolling over to the NFC game. Uh, Big takeaway from Lions and 49ers is it's not about the fourth down calls. It's about the execution on those fourth downs. It is about the mistakes that were made by the Lions in this game. Momentum felt like it was on San Francisco's side because the Lions kept making mistakes. If the Lions had not made the mistakes, the Niners don't get the momentum. And the Niners didn't have, like, there is no magical, you know, the boogeyman is Patrick Mahomes. It's not a magical ethos that comes down and strikes a ball out. Jameer Gibbs has to hold on to that football. Josh Reynolds has to catch the football on multiple big spots in the game. Um, I think Ben Johnson, who I still like every bit as much as I did before the game, probably needed to find a way to get Amon Ross St. Brown back involved a little bit earlier, Um, but he did go to him in a big spot. Ultimately, those are the mistakes that matter. 
The mistakes that matter are the ones in the terms of the execution. Dan Campbell's decision-making on the fourth downs was perfectly sound. Um, the analytics data, which is real, no matter whether you like it or not, um, su suggested it was basically a toss-up. Either go for it or kick it. It's about the same. And considering Michael Badgley, their kicker, who, by the way, couldn't beat Joey Sly out in the preseason because his leg is not big enough, kicking 46- and 48-yard field goals outdoors, those aren't sure things. So you go for it. And that's also kind of who you are. And the, the, you're confident in it, and you practice those situations. So lo and behold, the the... the People who want to dump on analytics, again, like it's another group of people that just is telling on themselves. If, if I'm just going to be blunt about it, don't tell on yourselves as someone who hates intelligence and information and data and, and being smarter than my gut says. Dan Campbell got here because he, in part, because he listens to the information and the data more than anybody else pretty much in the league. He's one of the best, if not the single best game management coach in the league. He knows what he's doing. And that doesn't mean that it's guaranteed to work. Otherwise, they'd be, you know, 17-0, not 13-5 going into that game, or 18-0 instead of 13-5 going into the game. That's not a guaranteed proposition. Um, but ultimately, it's about the mistakes. It's about the Gibbs fumble. It's about... Um, the dude not making a pick and instead the ball hitting off his face mask and going to Ayuk. One team made plays, one team didn't. It was decided between the white lines uh, far less than uh, what was happening on the sidelines. Although I will say, in terms of number seven things that were happening on the sidelines, uh, Greg Olson made one of the best uh, observations I've ever heard from a game analyst during the game. And I, I truly don't understand what Aaron Glenn was doing yesterday. So what part of what makes the Kyle Shanahan offense so great is they subvert expectation. If you listen to Take Command, you hear Logan's use that phrase all the time. What it means is, like, if we, we're going to put heavy personnel so that you match with heavy personnel, and then we're going to pass the ball because our heavy personnel includes Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle, who are tremendous ball catchers and, and wide receivers on top of, you know, blockers. So we get you in run-heavy personnel that's not very good at defending the pass, and then we pass it. So Aaron Glenn, early in that game, seemed to have a really good solution. We're not going to play personnel. We're going to play down and distance. First down, we're going with our heavy personnel. If you want to pass it, fine, but you're not going to run it on us. And then, for some reason, and, and by the way, it worked. They're up 24-7 at halftime. And then they started matching personnel more in the second half, and Kyle did exactly what Kyle does. He took advantage of it. They were able to run into light personnel. They were able to pass on heavy personnel. And the 49ers offense came to life, and we all know the final score. I don't really understand that. I'm not going to say there wasn't a reason. I didn't hear Aaron Glenn's postgame. I mean, coordinators don't really talk postgame. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't hear anything as to why that change was made. But Olsen, an all-time observation on the broadcast – and to me, like, that's such an innovative thing for Glenn to have done. And I don't know why they got away with it. Meanwhile, on the other side, Steve Wilkes, in one of the biggest plays in the game, does a tremendous job doing something that I've been waiting for an NFL defensive coordinator to do, which is to fake man 
when a an offense lines up with the running back outside. Hey, okay, you want to run, line up with Jameer Gibbs out wide so that the linebacker will go chase him, and it's like, aha, we, we uncovered your disguise. You're in man-to-man. Well, they knew that the Lions were going to do that. Wilkes sends Greenlaw out with him. Then as soon as he comes back in, it's like, all right, we got the mantel. We're good. Come back. They played zone, and it messed up uh, one of their the Lions' like biggest plays of the game. So coaching on either side, hey, what do you know? It matters. Number eight. Uh, number eight. Uh, speaking of coaching mattering, um, and I want to rope the first game back in. The first 15 from Ben Johnson to get this game started. And by the way, the first 15, I said the other game, from Andy Reid as well. You want to talk about starting fast? These guys are so good at it. The mix of personnel, the mix of uh, of formations, the mix of pass and run. Like, just excellent stuff. And, and I know that they lost, and I know that they hit a dry spell in the second half. But you see yesterday what makes Ben Johnson special. That San Francisco 49ers defense, which is great, was all over the place. And Steve Wilkes did a great job, and those players did a great job of getting it back on track in the second half. Um, but to expect to score 40 to win, like, is ridiculous. They still scored, what, 31? Like, that's a pretty damn good day at the office. I think Ben Johnson, starting with the first 15, and then the ability to find it again in the fourth quarter and, and make it close at the end, really shows you what he's made of. And is that ultimately going to get him the job in Washington? No, but it's a heck of a, a data point on the resume. And then I think he's going to interview very well. And, and you know, he is he is a leader of men. He is he is all the things that you want in a head coach from everything that you hear about. And uh, who knows, by Thursday, he might just be the head coach of the Washington Commanders. Number nine. Number nine, um, a guy that <laughs> you, you wish you could rewind the clock and have him be the head coach of the Commanders, but uh, we all know how it went down. I'm really happy for Kyle Shanahan. Um, I think he's the best coach in the NFL. And... I know that he doesn't have a Super Bowl yet. Andy Reid does, you know, Belichick, you know, all, all these guys that do. Um, he's been out coached in games. He's had really bad. I mean, the Super Bowl where you're up 28 to three, you get the credit for going up that that high. But he definitely played a role in, in it going back sideways the other way. Um, but at the end of the day, all Kyle Shanahan has done as a head coach is built an offense that everyone in the league is envious of and whose principles they try to copy, and while doing it, consistently been the head coach of the team with one of the best defenses in the league. The way they've built it, their philosophies, uh, the principles of how they believe football should be played are so strong. He's an excellent, excellent hirer and identifier of talent, not just in terms of players, but in terms of coaches. And I just think that he has done it consistently better than anybody else. I know that it, that he hasn't won it yet, but I go back to what I said about Lamar. Just because you haven't doesn't mean you can't, and I think his time is coming. I, I mean, I picked him before the season. Spoiler alert, I'm going to pick him in this game, even though I swore to God if Mahomes won, I'd never pick against him again. Um, but I, I just think that Kyle is as good as it gets in this league, that everybody should be trying to find their own Kyle Shanahan, and if something funky ever happens and he's available, everyone would fight like owners would have a Royal rumble to go hire the dude. Um, and I'm happy that he's going back to the super bowl and has another shot to win it. Number 10, last but not least, uh, going so long that the music has ended. Uh, Dan Campbell, I thought was tremendous last night in the post game podium. 
Um, he said it's going to be twice as hard to get back. And he was real with his guys. Not He knows how hard this is. And he knows that once you put in this work, that it becomes even harder to get back because you have to convince yourself it is worth doing it again, knowing you could go through the kind of pain that you are being that close from something so special. And what he has done in Detroit is, like what Kyle has done in, in San Fran, a model for other franchises to build on. So... Yes. Am I a member of the Dan Campbell fan club since I saw him on Hard Knocks? You bet your bottom dollar I am. But I am really, really thrilled for a guy that does it the right way, who cares, um, and who just is unapologetically him in in a way that he doesn't have to apologize for. Um, Sometimes that phrase is overused. Sometimes people need to apologize for the terrible things that they do. But Dan Campbell doesn't have anything to apologize for, um, and he is... His realness at the podium in the postgame last night I thought was tremendous. I will play the clip in real things, uh, if not earlier on in the show. All right, that is our first in 10. First segment, 10 observations from NFL Championship Weekend. When we get back, we'll take your calls with your observations from Championship Weekend. It is the Ace Law Listener Line, 301-230-0980. 301-230-0980. Your calls on the Ravens season ending or anything else from Championship Weekend next. Taking your calls at 301-230-0980. The Ace Law Listener Line, if you're in a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check uh, call 888-ACE-LAW for more. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And we're live and in person this Friday, 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 live. Your favorite radio shows together for one night, off air, on stage, and uncensored. And if you have missed the news and you don't have your tickets, John Allen's going to be there. Yeah, Commander's Defensive Tackle John Allen live and in person and uncensored. And uh, look, I don't know John Allen very well, but I've interviewed him enough times in the locker room to know that that man will enjoy being able to interview, being interviewed uncensored. Uh, There's just some words that are a part of his vernacular that uh, I think, I think John will do very well in this environment. Uh, Tickets are on sale now at BethesdaTheater.com. It's presented by Main Street Bank, Cheer Local, Bank Local. Put their team in your office. Visit MStreetBank.com. For more information. All right, to that Ace Law listener line we go. Your biggest takeaways from NFL Championship Weekend, where we see the Ravens go down, the Lions go down, and the Chiefs and 49ers advance to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Lap, get us started, bro. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, what's up, Craig? Hey, man, I'm... I wanted the Ravens to win. I was disappointed, but, man, I'm happy for my homes, man, and Hope he wins again, man. He is just a beast, man. He just not from this world, man. And uh, I'm a big Kyle Shanahan fan, of course. So, guess we'll see. Even though I don't want the Niners uh, to win, I, I want to see Patrick win again, another one. So, we'll see. Hey, let me ask you this, Craig. What's up? Does any of these coaching candidates change your perspective now? for not giving um, Eric being to be a fair shot because based on what I've seen, especially two top candidates, they, they lost and their resume still don't look as impressive as his. When, He's been when to did, the conference championship. Remind me when Eric Bieniemy lost this year? Well, I'm saying because you were saying when I had a conversation with you last time, 
you said that his case for being a head coach doesn't look too good based on what happened this season. And I'm saying that these other candidates, a lot of them don't have Super Bowl rings. They haven't got the multiple conference championships like Eric Bieniemy. No, but the team that he left just went to the Super Bowl without him, and the other candidates just got to the conference championship games, and they are in their, for McDonald's case, first year, I believe, as a play caller at this level, and Johnson's in his second. I'm just saying those candidates who we were so high on a week ago doesn't look that impressive. All I'm saying is you got to understand this guy's been interviewed – I'm just saying, man. I mean, no, no. no I'm saying, who did who did they not look impressive to? Because I was pretty impressed with Ben Johnson yesterday, and frankly, I was really impressed with McDonald the way he was able to turn it around in the second half. So you you still would want Ben Johnson, even though with the way it would happen. So that's more on the coach and not on him at all. They scored 31 points against the San Francisco 49ers and would have had more. Like Ben Johnson didn't tell Jameer Gibbs to fumble. Ben Johnson didn't tell Josh Reynolds to drop a fourth down and another wide open. I believe that was like a third and 12 that hit him. You can't say between the numbers because he wears number eight. It hit him in the dot of at the center of the eight. It's not coaching. I'm it's execution. Saying, you don't matter those yeah, mistakes. They might have scored 40. You, yeah, but I'm just saying you you make what, it as is well, what what are you saying? Yeah. Like you can't just when I answer the respond to your point, you can't just go, "Oh, well, I'm just saying." Like I just made the counterpoint. I answered your question. No, you made the you made the counterpoint, but what I'm saying is it still is not clear cut just like you made it seem like because what's going on with what they did, they didn't get to a Super Bowl. So So you're 100% you results based. Of, you're 100%, which if one of those coaches had won the Super Bowl this year, that's the one you would have wanted as your head coach, and nothing else matters. No, I'm just saying I'm just saying with everybody trying to crap on Eric oh. Bieniemy is, is he's not well-deserving based on this season alone, and then you compare her to other coaches. Of course, it's easy to pick those coaches, Craig, if they're winning. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, okay, I think I think we've gotten to the like the problem are. of the misunderstanding. I didn't just like yeah, those coaches because they were winning. I liked those coaches because the process was better. I liked those coaches because what they're doing makes sense for their personnel. I like those coaches because what they're okay. doing is innovative. I like what those those coaches but are you doing. Were high on Eric being a B when he came to the Commanders, and he was just coming off. Yeah, the and then he win. got more power and proved that that was a bad idea. When he got the power to be in charge of the offense, the offense was bad. And your solution to that, you're just saying nothing, Lap. You're just saying nothing. You can't just keep going saying, I just saying. You're not saying a thing. Why did I just turn into Chris Berman, Anthony? I don't know, man. What made you more tired? The exercise class that you took this morning or listening to that circular argument of nothingness? Uh, definitely this morning. Okay. We're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, I wanted Eric Bianami to work here so badly. I wanted him to ultimately, when he got here, be the head coach and take over from Ron. 
because I thought Eric Bieniemy would be really, really good at offensive coordinator without Andy Reid supervision. And if your response to a bad year, like this is the most power Bieniemy's ever had. And he took it. Now, are there other factors? Yes, because for all the power he had, he still was stuck in this organization, essentially with the last owner. Because he didn't get a chance to hire staff. They didn't get a chance to be super aggressive in free agency or with quarterbacks and personnel. But at the end of the day, there's a job that he was asked to do, and he did a bad job. And it's the most important job he's ever had in terms of power relative to the organization. Because when he was with Andy Reid, Andy Reid was the overseer of the offense. And he had a bigger voice than Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy was really important. And it took him a while this year in Kansas City to replace him, for sure. Some of their early season struggles, if EB's there, that might not happen. But they went to the Super Bowl without him. And these other coaches that now I'm supposed to think are lesser than Eric Bieniemy, according to Lapp's uh, quote-unquote logic, uh, are like some of the best at what they do. What are we? What are we doing here? What are we actually doing? We're not entertaining. Like that's. I'm gonna put it this way, Anthony. Unless Eric Bieniemy surprises me, and all of us, and there's an upset of the the millennium, and he gets the job, I'm not taking another Eric Bieniemy call. It's not worth our time. It's not. It's rude to everyone else who isn't obsessed with this one singular person. It's just rude. Like, you're, you all are smarter than this. And if you're not, like, you need to look around and ask some tough questions about yourself and be like, why am I so obsessed with this one person? Doesn't make any sense. Stop doing it. End of, end of story. Up next, fun time. Anthony joined me for a workout this morning, and he almost died. Uh, That story, he's nodding along. That story is next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Uh, A show that worked out together this morning. Uh, Young Anthony Haney tested his fitness with your boy. Uh, shout out to, to the good folks at Elevate Interval Fitness, my home gym here in DC. Uh, if you're, you might, some of you might've heard of Hyrox, uh, which is coming to DC in March. Uh, this is uh, a fitness event that is got a lot of running. It's got lunges. It's got ski ergs. It's got sleds. It's got all kinds of stuff. It's, it's a fitness, uh, like ob- obstacle course racing kind of inspired. It's hybrid racing. That's it's part running, part lifting. Um, and, and the owner of Elevate is a guy named David Megita, who is the North American champion. Um, David's awesome. I train with him and, um, you know, my wife now teaches here and we're, my wife and I are are training for high rocks and, um, we've, we've talked about it obviously quite a bit and that includes here on the show. And, uh, Rachel has been trying to get Anthony to come to class. And and this morning, and you made the trip down from prep to Elevate. I did indeed. Uh, you almost didn't make it home. <laughs> I didn't. I, I'm not going to lie. So first of all, I had to, you know, wake up earlier than I usually do. Yeah. That also required me going to sleep earlier than I us- usually do. That didn't go well for you, did it? No, I couldn't I couldn't fall asleep. I was in bed, like, tossing and turning. 
I kept looking up in my phone. It was 12. That's 12, part of the problem. 30, you, can't, you can't be looking at one. the phone. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God. But uh, I woke up, 6.30, got out, brushed my teeth. I was going to get some oatmeal, but uh, I didn't have any more plastic bowls in my crib. And I didn't want to take a glass bowl, leaving them. I, I don't like doing that. So uh, I rushed yeah. out of my house and uh, I looked up. It said 40 minutes. So I couldn't rush and go get some oatmeal. So I was like, I've done this before. I've worked out, you know, no breakfast, just water on my stomach. And uh, I was in for a rude awakening is what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, which is funny because I thought to myself two things. One, I was like, I should bring Ant some electrolyte supplement because I know that, like, that's going to matter. And I doubt he's bringing it. But, like, you know, he works out a lot. Like, he'll be fine. And I was like, you know what? Just in case, I feel like I should bring him some fuel. I should bring him, like, a honey stinger waffle. And I was like, nah, he was gonna, he was gonna have his oatmeal. We joked about it being the breakfast of Elliot Kipchoge, breakfast of champions. He'll be all right. He'll be all right. I really wish I would have brought that for you. Yeah. And so my favorite thing is, so we do like a quick tune-up, five rounds of some stuff, and then we get into the workout. And I will, I will nerd out and indulge the fitness enthusiast amongst us uh, <laughs> and tell everybody the workout in a second. Um, but it was a true hit class, so it's like timed and and it's all intervals and a bell goes off and you you start working and eventually another one goes off and you stop and you go to the next station but i will say in the warm-up like you came out hot like we we had to do some some shoulder tap push-ups yeah. anthony's just knocking out push-ups yeah like he's a he's a soldier of basic <laughs> training just one two three. like he was going i was like <laughs> either he's about to crush this class or this class is about to crush him i don't know which one it is but it's gonna be one of the two you ain't lying, dog. Like, I can do some push-ups. The mountain climbers weren't that bad. I'm like, that's going to be a piece of cake. Yeah, so you get you get done with that, and then we uh, we get into the, the actual workout. So today was at six stations, three rounds, um, which becomes important in a minute. Each station, this was a longer one, minute 45 at each station with 30 seconds rest in between. So the first station we went to was uh, – you did a, a dumbbell squat clean for eight and then a push press for eight. And then you just, if you, you finished that, you went back to the squat cleans. So that was station one. Station two, uh, kettlebell step up. So you're stepping onto a nice high box. Uh, you got eight of those. And then you got a, a deadlift to high pull with a heavier kettlebell. Uh, station three was a TRX tricep extension. So it's a, it's an arm exercise. Uh, and then you do four burpees. And then, then gets to the nasty half. The nasty half was you did uh, a sled push and then a pull back with just your arms. So you push the sled down, walk back to where you came from, grab the rope, and pull the sled on in. That was that. Then on the ski erg, you did a 150-meter uh, ski, 10-second rest, repeat till the time's up. And then you get on the assault bike, which is the nastiest piece of cardio equipment on the planet for my money. That's that or a Versa climber. Uh, and you do a 10 calorie sprint, uh, and then, and then take a 10 second rest and then you do all that again. And then you do all that again. How'd you feel? And the first station was funny. Cause like you, you hadn't really done a squat clean before so that we had, we had to do a little instruction there on that's, that's a very technical lift. Yeah. With the dumbbells, uh, cause I've done it with a barbell. I think it's a little bit easier. i um, never really did it with the dumbbells. So. Yeah, we had, to, we had to get through that. Uh, I had to fine tune my uh, my uh, mechanics, but uh, that wasn't too bad. The step ups wasn't that bad. The uh, 
the tricep extensions. Yeah. Now, when we got to the sled, oh, my gosh, Craig, after the second round, well, actually, during the second round. I was going to say, after the in the first round, did you, like, we go through the room once. Where was your confidence level? I was still feeling confident. Like, I, I think I was okay. But when we got to the sleds on the second round. Yeah, which, by the way, I had I the was, order backwards. We had the, we went to the ski erg and then the sled. Yeah. I was ready to call it quits. I, I was like, <laughs> so basically Yo. the exact halfway point. You got to the top yes. of the mountain and we're yes. like, I'm just going to sit here. I don't want to go down. Because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to finish, do another lap of this. The sleds killed me and then the skiers also were killing me. And then the bikes. That was, a lot of you not correct. The last two times we got on the bike, I had my eyes closed and I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> Going through the motions, essentially, dude. I, <laughs> I was Anthony, insane. believe it or not, I took a peek over and could see that. <laughs> I was in pain. You were, I, you were in pain. <laughs> slash, I. I thought I was gonna pass out. Man. I thought you were gonna pass out. Yeah. I we got off the bikes at the end of round two, and I looked back, and Anthony looks like he's sleepwalking to back to the first station. Yeah. And I just went, my boy's in trouble. My eyes were biggest, like they were just expanded like I, I didn't know what to do uh coach rachel is listening uh aka my <laughs> wife uh she, she's the one who told me i got the order wrong sorry sorry babe uh she, she goes anthony's eyes got bigger on the sled yeah i saw the eyes closed i saw the pain pain cave i also thought he was going to pass out yeah i was ready to pass out i think my second win kicked in yeah, a, a little bit. <laughs> slash, you got back to a station that you could you could fake it better. Yeah, and tried to recover a little bit. Yeah, I will say this: you were very springy as an athlete. Your burp when you get, did the burpees and had to jump up. Yeah. I was like, dang, wish I could <laughs> jump like that. Um, I was trying to not to drop jump so high. I don't know why I would just. You're like, I got to do something. Well, I got to do something impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that was a tough one. That, that was, was a tough one. And it takes a long time to get into that. It's a very specific time. I don't even want to say shape. It's conditioning. Yeah. And it's a different. If you're not doing that kind of conditioning, it ain't gonna. It ain't gonna go. Great. Yeah. So you, you ever want to come back? No, I'll come back for sure. Like, I feel like you want. I feel like you want redemption. I feel like you want to come back, and just you just want to be like, I got. I'm gonna eat first, yep. and I'm gonna. I'm gonna get this, my hydration straight. And I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show better. I was just telling my dad that I told him next time I go, I'm gonna make sure I eat. But also, these next couple of weeks, I'm getting back in the gym. I gotta get back in shape. I'm not. I'm I'm so out of shape. I'm an athletic guy, so like my it's, it's conditioning. Yeah, what's in shape for me is like up here, and I yeah. think I'm like really down here. Got it. But this is entirely different. So yeah, no. If if you're gonna plan on coming back. We can get, we can give you some circuits to do. All right, that's bad. We can get it. Uh, what time are you going to go to bed tonight? And have how long did you nap today? Already. Uh, so I've napped for I want to say an hour and a half. <laughs> I want to say I napped for an hour and a half, and uh, I will definitely probably be going to sleep before you and Rachel. So before ten o'clock. Most likely. Nice. Yes. Michael Phillips is next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And it is a Monday at 5 o'clock. And really, lately, that's meant absolutely nothing. We've had barely had shows on Mondays and had scheduling stuff. But traditionally during football season, 
that's meant that we've had Michael Phillips. And looky, looky here, it's time to welcome back Michael Phillips. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not my beat. Michael, welcome back to your home radio spot. I, it just doesn't feel right. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to say about this. It's the normal time, the agreed upon time. Uh, I, I we haven't been here in so long. I, it, it feels, you know, like we got to break it back in. Yeah, I mean, should we do a proper warm up? I don't know what the the, the procedure is here. Do we just get into the football? What, what I know is, you know, I've been a radio guy for a couple minutes now. Yeah, uh, well, I guess it's September. Uh, last week was the first time I really lost my voice while doing the radio show. Oh, that's and awful we, when you're solo. Man, we slogged through the week. It was uh, it was a slog of a week. So this was like a long term thing. Not like have you ever lost your voice straight up during a segment? Um. Yeah, so we, you know, I, my producer, I uh, helped, uh, helped carry it, obviously. Um, and, you know, we had stuff ready to go and guess. But, uh, yeah, there, there was one segment where I, we, we didn't make the finish line. Yeah, Anthony, that is his nightmare. That if sure. I lose my voice during the segment, because it's funny, because there's a lot of producers in radio that actually, like, are younger guys that, or gals, that want to become hosts. And that's actually their dream. Like, when I was a producer, <laughs> that was my dream, was... Yeah. I would like my my host to all of a sudden lose his voice, and then I'd have to do the show, and I just I would I would be Lou Gehrig, and they would be Wally Pip, of course. Um, that was <laughs> that was how it went in my head. Um, not hey, we'll get a sub tomorrow. That's not you. He keep hitting your buttons, you doofus. Um, <laughs> this is actually Anthony's nightmare. This is something that comes up every once in a while. I have lost my voice for moments that Anthony's had to carry the show. Anthony, that is that is actually your literal nightmare is that you would have to host the show yeah I mean, anthony i mean for anthony, three hours is crazy yeah, <laughs> anthony there's only one line you gotta know and that is uh craig's uh craig's feeling a little something so we're gonna take a break we'll be right <laughs> hey, that's a great uh, line too <laughs> yeah we've we've all been there all right uh so the commanders had about as good of a championship weekend in my opinion that they could have had of course it'd be nice to hire the super bowl winning offensive or defensive coordinator if the Lions or Ravens won or assistant head coach in Anthony Weaver's case if that's the direction they want to go but Michael realistically now every single candidate that they would like to interview is available they can hire their coach this week what is the latest that you are hearing as to take your radio host hat off and whatever is left of your reporter hat on what is the latest of in terms of what we're hearing in terms of a timeline and how realistic is it that by the end of this week and like when we have you on next week, we're, we're talking about a, a new head coach, the commanders. Yeah, I was laughing. This is actually my last formal week of duties for the Washington times. I'll write some stuff. We're down at the Super Bowl next week too. Um, but I, you know, uh, the, the new kid, Liam, uh, that said, Hey, it's a, looks like it's going to be your problem uh, as the lions are up 24 to seven. And then it became my problem once again, uh, which is, not a problem, because uh, that's, that's my job. That's what I do. Uh, by my count, we've got seven uh, in-person finalist candidates on the board. I've obviously taken Raheem Morris off the board uh, for obvious reasons. He's been hired. Uh, you got the two Ravens guys, Anthony Weaver, Mike McDonald. you got the two Lions guys, Aaron Glenn, Ben Johnson. Dan Quinn, of course, from the Cowboys. Bobby Sloak of the Texans. And Eric Bieniemy was given a full in-person interview in-house as well. Uh, I would be astonished if it's not 
Mike McDonald or Ben Johnson, uh, not in that order, Ben Johnson uh, having the preference there. And I would be more astonished if this is not fully in the books by Friday afternoon when we all clock out. You don't you don't need four days of deliberation on this. You've had you've had weeks of deliberation. You get the in-persons with everybody wrapping up in Detroit tomorrow with Ben Johnson. Uh, they'll convene. They'll, they'll they'll make their decision, whatever it is they want to do. Uh, I can't see any plausible reason you would need to take this into another week. I wholeheartedly agree, which is why uh, as much forward planning as we have done on this radio show, Thursday and Friday are completely blank slates as of right now. Um, you've heard, well, I, I think you've heard uh, like kind of this, uh, it's not defeatism, but like this uh, inevitability. That's the right word. That's why you write in print and I sit here and blabber into a microphone. Although, <laughs> don't worry, Michael, you're just about to be another one of us as your duties at Washington <laughs> Times come to an end. There's an inevitability that it, this is spoken of, that it is going to be Johnson. But John Kime, who is as plugged in as anybody, obviously, and Adam Schefter, who is as plugged in as anybody, obviously, uh, the ESPN brigade has come out and been like, no, no, like this is not done. We understand that everyone's just connecting dots here, but... Uh, it has been made very clear that they are taking these interviews seriously, and this is not a foregone conclusion. And this group, the Harris group, has been very secretive and had things very buttoned up. What have you made of both the uh, the pushback uh, from some premier reporters that it is not a foregone conclusion and the general lack of information coming from the Harris camp? Yeah, and uh, it, this reminds me, there's a Simpson episode where uh, – Homer listens to vocabulary tapes and starts having like a really big vocabulary, but then he stops listening and he forgets what, what the words for everything is. That's going to be me after a couple of weeks. Of, uh, <laughs> I of thought you were going to say line. that was just me right then, right now, because that would also be it. That's, that was the problem as I need to go back and listen to my vocabulary tapes. Anyway, uh, Michael continue. Yes. Um, I, look, you've got different sources who provide different information here, right? And uh, uh, you are absolutely correct. The Harris group is not, forthcoming with details and information and, and i commend them for that right everything they've done uh craig since uh, i guess when they took over uh has been designed to communicate to the public the fans uh we're not dan snyder uh, and this is just another way of doing that is running a nice buttoned up coach process where they take care of business quietly and professionally and bring somebody to a podium at the end of that process uh, that's not the way things have traditionally worked. So I think it's very important for them to do that. Now, the rest of the league continues chattering as normal. And of course, we are tuned into that chatter and dialed into that chatter. And uh, uh, definitely the rest of the league thinks Ben Johnson is the guy to get. Now, I would say this, the only competition at this point is, is Seattle. I also think this is not going to be a cycle where Ben Johnson goes without a job. Assuming he wants an NFL job, he's going to get one. And I find it hard to believe he sat out this whole process not knowing he, he's got an option when, when the music stops and everybody sits down in a chair. You look at all the jobs that filled last week, and some of those teams would trade their guy for Ben Johnson right now straight up. So that, that leads me to believe some communication has happened behind the scenes. I think it's also very important to – respect the process and that that's your adam Schefter reporting right is they they will respect the process and have an open mind as they go through these interviews uh but at the same time ben johnson is not still on the board because he's not an undesirable candidate he is the desirable candidate uh, obviously mcdonald's giving him a run for his money right now but 
in terms of him landing with a job, assuming he wants one in this cycle, he's going to get one. There's two left. That tells me he's got one of them. Right. So then that brings the Seattle side into this. How big of a threat realistically are the Seahawks to win the battle for Ben Johnson? Yeah. And if, if they want him, that, that, that could be a wild wrinkle here. And, uh, Ben Johnson's agent is going to be incredibly happy if that's the scenario, because, uh, you just add a couple more zeros to that check and that agreement and that commitment that they make. Uh, that's another spot Seattle is where you've got a really well-run organization. Obviously, the Allen family, uh, Jody Allen's running that right now. There's a little bit of an ownership transition, but historically that has been viewed as one of the good spots in the league. So a last-minute bidding war uh, would be very good for Ben Johnson, uh, potentially very bad for the commanders, uh, but also – uh, I think that you would you would say they can still get a really good coach, even if it's not Ben Johnson, whether that's Mike McDonald or somebody else. Michael Phillips, of course, 910 The Fan, MP on the mic, and wrapping up his uh, football season's worth of work for the Washington Times with us here on the Hoffman Show. I do think it's kind of funny um, the way the money works with this on the commander side of it because Josh Harris and company spent $6.1 million, and that is cited as a reason as why they will now spend even more money, uh, as opposed to being like, damn, now it's time to b- tighten down the purse straps because we just spent $6.1 <laughs> billion. But it, it does seem like that is the case. Like They spent $6.1 billion for this thing to return on investment, and they very much realized in order to have return on investment, they're going to need to do some more investing is kind of my sense of it. Do you get the same sense? Yeah, that, that's a great point. They're not going to get outbid. They're not going to lose Ben Johnson because they didn't pony up at the end when it matters. That That's not why they're going to lose him. If Ben Johnson ends up in Seattle, he'll have very legitimate reasons for wanting to be in that organization and, and wanting to participate with that group. Uh, one of those reasons will not be they, they offered me more money. Um, you know, you get to the finish line here when you find your guy, you make it happen with your guy. Josh Harris knows how this works. He's done this in multiple sports now, in multiple leagues. The return on investment of a great coach is one of the underrated things in sports, right? You look at, we often talk about, boy, how great is that college coach gig? You know, you go coach Auburn for three years, get fired, and they keep paying you for another decade. Uh, On the other hand, like Nick Saban, whatever they're paying him, I promise you that university made uh, 10 times more than that on investing in Nick Saban over the years. No, that's a great point. Um, you know, and, and obviously I think you're seeing now in San Francisco, obviously in Detroit and in some of these other places that have this incredible duo of, of lead uh, front office person and head coach, right. And cohesive and all of that, that that's how you win and winning by the way, makes teams a lot of money. And that's ultimately the, the goal, uh, both the winning and the money. Um, a few more minutes <laughs> yeah. with Michael Phillips here. Um, what, anything else from championship weekend uh, in terms of McDonald and Johnson specifically or, or Aaron Glenn or Anthony Weaver that you see that you think matters in this coaching search? Or is this point the hay is in the barn and, and it comes down to these in-person interviews? Now, I'm not a huge believer in the, the, the final, final arguments uh, thing of like, well, what, who did better on Sunday? Go hire them. Uh, that said, Mike McDonald. Let's just take a second to talk about Mike McDonald. 36 years old, all this guy did was pants Kyle Shanahan offenses all year. Like the, the smartest guy in football, like everybody, get me a Kyle Shanahan guy, run that offense. Every time he played one of them, I, he just dominated them and tore them to little tiny pieces. Uh, 36 years old, by the way. 
Uh, very, very impressive. Plays Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes gets a couple out of the gate. They put up a big fat zero in the second half, and that's not because they were sitting on the ball. That's because he, he dialed it up. I don't know if he'll be a head coach in this cycle. What I know is those results are pretty dang impressive, Craig. Yeah, no, that is that is for sure. I I kind of wonder if he, like, obviously if he gets an offer, it seems like he's going to take it. He could have removed himself by now, a la Ben Johnson last year. But the one thing that I find really impressive about Johnson is he kind of took this year to study becoming a head coach. That's something Campbell has talked about is like Ben got a little more involved in some stuff, asked some more questions. He wanted to understand what it's like to be in that lead chair. And I almost wonder if if he gets skipped over this time, it could be a blessing in disguise. And wherever he winds up next year is is a job that he's more prepared. Like obviously he's going to be more prepared, but if he can kind of follow the model that Johnson did, um, I, I do wonder if that winds up paying off for him. Uh, and also for him to like think about staffing and things that he's probably never thought of before. Like if I'm him, I try to do a little networking this summer because that is my one biggest concern for McDonald is like, who's his staff versus Johnson's got this tremendous tree because he's worked with under a bunch of different people with a bunch of different experiences. Yeah, that's why I think McDonald's not a terrible fit in Seattle. And if he gets that job, first thing I do is not fly to the facility, but fly to whatever vacation home Pete Carroll is in right now and be like, hey, you know how you're a senior advisor? What I want that to mean is like, why don't you actually come be a senior advising me? Um, you know, if you could get that Pete Carroll hand holding inside the building for a year, that would serve him really well at this juncture of time. And I mean, heck, that'd serve a lot of people well, uh, not just 36-year-olds, but uh, I can think of some older than 36-year-old NFL coaches who could benefit for, from a year with Pete Carroll, too. Uh, but in terms of assembling a staff, you know, if you could keep him involved, I think that would make the job exponentially more more attractive from, from both sides for Mike McDonald. Uh, but, but you nailed it. His, his star is not going to get dimmer. Um, what he did this year, if, if he has a successful year next year, this isn't one of those one bite at the apple things. We talked about that. I know we talked about that last week with Aaron Glenn where, hey, look, he may never get another shot at this. If he was offered a job, he probably needed to take it. I don't think that's the Mike McDonald story at all. He can be picky a la Ben Johnson, and, and it would serve him well in his career. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all right, last thing uh, here with Michael. Uh, next week, by the way, we will preview the game more. When, when, by the way, what's your Vegas schedule? When do you get there? You yeah, do- so we get there. We get there Sunday night. So I will do the Monday okay. show in Vegas. So when you, I don't know if you want to talk to me Monday night. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, I'll have your people call me. I, I know you book up well in advance, but uh, I, I think what, probably what there, we'll what we'll do is we'll try to just tape it. Uh, sorry to the audience, Michael might not be live, but the information will still be just as good. But we could just have you. Uh, we can we can set up a, a thing from Radio Row, and we can do it that way. Oh, oh during the week while you're there. Uh, we well we could do that. Or I was going to say you can just we can we can get you from your broadcast position. I'll sit in uh, my my home studio and we can tape a bit on Monday. Or we could yes. just shift you to later in the week and you could join me on set. Uh, we'll if, make it work. Uh, me, media night Monday does not start until 8 p.m. Eastern. So uh, there, there should not be any any time conflicts there, which is good news for all of us. Yeah, so we could either do that or we could do live on your way or from whatever you're doing between the end of your show and, and 8 p.m. Anyway, the thing I want to ask you about, uh, well, we, we can plan next week off the air. Um, I'm the one who did that. That's my fault, just to be very, very clear. Uh, but the... Other kind of NFL news from the weekend is the Eagles hired Kellen Moore, and obviously they got Vic Fangio. I think everyone's going to look at the Fangio hire and be like, yep, A-plus, got it. You hired the godfather of modern NFL defense. Good job, Nick Sirianni. 
What do you make of the Kellen Moore hire? I'm really glad you mentioned this because um, I do have a take. I like it. I like it a lot for the Eagles. I, I think that if you're going to have a CEO coach like Sirianni, right, everything rises and falls on your coordinators, as we learned last year into this year. And shoot, I mean, Detroit's going to go through that next year, potentially, uh, you know, have, have to, you know, weather that or see how well Dan Campbell hires. But I like both of those hires. I still like the roster a lot. I still like Jalen Hurts a lot. I know that's not what the audience here wants to hear, but I will. Be, I think I saw the Eagles as like 30-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl next year. Uh, I am bullish on that right now. This might might uh, be able to you know find someone in Las Vegas who can take some money on that bet. I just <laughs> I've heard that's a place you can do such things. Um, I like Kellen Moore a lot. I like the Eagles a lot. I'm going to be honest with you, Michael. I don't love the fit. Yeah, that, you, you can. That's that's your right as I, a radio host. I will say if they had hired Arthur Smith, I would be uh, a lot more scared. Okay, I, I like that. A uh, little, uh, little uh, difference of opinion. That's that's what makes good radio here. Uh, I, you know, Kellen was was the rising star a few years ago. Didn't quite pan out that way. I, I think he's still got you know some some fire in the tank. And I, I mean, the Fangio thing you mentioned, obviously, it goes without saying. Anybody is better than Matt Patricia at this point. So uh, if if they had named a wet paper bag as their defensive coordinator, I would still be lauding that move on the air because it is not Matt Patricia. There is an incredible competition for worst Belichick assistant. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, from what Charlie Weiss did, like I think Weiss and Patricia are the two one seeds, but there are other candidates. I mean, McDaniels, but at least McDaniels like went back. Every time he goes back to New England, he's an incredible OC. Um, now, granted, that was with Brady, but still, uh, he yeah. did it. He's got a bunch of rings. Like, Weiss left New England, never good at football again. Patricia left New England, never good at football again. You're telling me, a University of Kansas graduate, proud Jayhawk. Michael, I covered a Charlie Weiss season. Charlie Weiss. <laughs> I was in Lawrence for one of those. Yes, yes. It's a it's a six months of my life I'm never getting back. Turner Gill owes that guy the biggest thank you of all oh. time for not being the worst Kansas football oh. coaching hire of the two thousands. Oh, that is speaking of lists. Oh, the Belichick <laughs> Belichick assistant list versus Kansas. Uh, man, that's that's a summer show for you, sir. Um, and, the Venn diagram meets at Charlie White. It sure does. Uh, Michael Phillips, everybody, uh, 10 a.m. to noon weekdays on 910 The Fan, which you can, of course, listen to on the free Odyssey app or on your car radio if you're driving down through Richmond. Uh, Michael, whether it is from Radio Row or on Radio Row, we look forward to talking to you next week. Uh, safe travels out to Vegas, and I'll see you there. Looking forward to it, Craig. See ya. All right, that is Michael Phillips, everybody. When we get back, back to the championship games, Anthony and I break down the AFC championship game next, the NFC championship game uh, at 545, and then ESPN Seth Walder joins us at 6. He is a big part of their analytics department at ESPN and uh, wanted to get his take on the Detroit Lions making fourth down decisions yesterday. Walder at 6 here on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Oh, man. What a championship weekend in the NFL. Chiefs headed to Las Vegas to take on the 49ers after their win over the Ravens. San Francisco, of course, beats Detroit. Uh, And Anthony has come to the time in the week where we 
review the NFL, and there's there's just two games to to review. So we're not uh, talking about Taylor Swift. No, like okay. we don't we don't have to. Plenty of other I'm people are going sure, to. We're also know? not going to hate on her. Okay. Something all discussed in first and ten, by the way. If you missed the beginning of the show, solid like twenty-five minutes of analysis of all things. Highly recommend checking that out on the podcast. Uh, just search the Hoffman Show in your favorite podcast app. But no, Anthony. Um, like, here's the thing. As I said, as I said earlier, will there be a Taylor Swift segment probably at some point next week in Las Vegas? Yes, because I already texted Nora Princiati to come on the show. Yes. So here's my. Here's my two ideas. And people I will let people tweet me and 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 see which one they like more. But it, so Nora of course many people know the name cuz she used to write about the Commanders here in DC. Um she worked for the Washington Times for a very short time, did some awesome work and then was like I'm going to go to Boston and write about the Patriots and then eventually got hired by the Ringer and when she was with the Ringer her her like music and Taylor Swift interests turned into a thing and she is now like one of the go-to media people on all things Taylor Swift. She hosts a podcast, whatever, but she still does NFL work. So as I said earlier, like she can as easily break down Kyle Shanahan's offense as she can the 10 minute version of whatever song is the 10 minute version. So my thought was we can do one of two things. One, we can do a fun bit where I ask her one serious football question, one serious Taylor Swift question and just alternate back and forth. We just have a total yo-yo interview and go swift football, swift football, swift football. Or what actually might be like, that's a funny bit. What actually might be more interesting is talking about fandom and talking about like what makes Taylor Swift so popular. What do, what do like Swifties have in common with diehard NFL fans? And like what has made each Taylor and, and kind of her universe and the NFL and its universe so damn popular in America. Like, I think that's actually a genuinely fascinating discussion but I'm always up for a good bit. So, which one would people rather see? I don't know, man. That's tough. I guess I, I, we could we could put it up to the people themselves. Yeah. So, you can tweet me. You can email me. You can... I don't know. What other other ways people... I mean, I guess people could call the show. Yep. Um, I don't think we're going to take calls on that, but if you want to call the show and you feel really strongly and tell Anthony, like, hey, I've, Craig asked this question and I feel really strongly, um, we, could, we could do that real quick. But yeah, that's going to be it. We're going to do like one segment. Maybe it'll be a double segment, so like 20 minutes at the most. And other than that, we're going we're gonna to talk about football all week. Sounds like a plan to me. Okay, cool. And now we talk about football. Uh, by the way, Anthony's kind of, I feel like a little disappointed. I feel like you want the full Swift breakdown. Nah, not yet. You not know, yet. I, I think I can wait. We got two weeks to, you know, yeah, get to it. So we got, pl- we got time. Yeah. We got time, bro. All right. Uh, AFC championship game. Uh, I gave my big takeaways earlier and what was the biggest thing for you? Uh, by the way, my biggest one was that like people need to realize the chiefs are a defensive football team. And I thought that was the biggest difference in the game yesterday was how that defense played. Yeah, and I think it's I think you put it perfectly when you said they are a defensive minded team because in the second half I do feel as though they got a little conservative and they went into like win now mode. And win now mode is more so, you know, running the ball, killing the clock, um, trying to, you know, sustain drives and if you don't, you're just gonna lean on uh your defense. Also, um field position was a huge thing. 
uh, the Ravens often had to drive, you know, one of their drives was like from the one-yard line. So they didn't have any short fields, and I think that's more so uh, what, you know, Andy Reid and, and Spags was, you know, okay with, you know, having those guys actually have to, you know, drive the length of the field. And the Ravens, for some reason, you know, they couldn't get things going, and when they did – Lamar would take a, a a timely or bad sack or, you know, the Zay Flowers fumble. That was huge. Uh, that would have been a huge difference in the game. But I think I, I look back to the end of the first half. I look back at the, the penalty by uh, by Jones um, roughing the passer. That extended that drive. And then uh, it was another play at the end of that half um, that allowed the Chiefs to, you know, continue to move down into field goal range. So I, I think those three points at the end of the half were like crucial. Oh, it was the the Van Noy? Uh... Yep, at the start of the drive. Yep, that yeah. was it. Yep. Yeah. So whatever two, that that was unsportsmanlike. Yeah. So those two plays right there, you know, ultimately uh, changed the how the game was going to be yeah. played because they had a two possession lead at that point at the end of the first half. So, um, yeah. To me, it's about Ravens' mistakes. Like, yeah, I think the, on the credit side of, of the ledger, you have credits and debits, right? Mm-hmm. Credits, Chiefs defense. Yeah. Credits, the way Mahomes and company came out. And, like, I don't, I think it's hard to overstate how good Travis Kelsey was in that first half. Like, it's not just that he caught a bunch of balls and he wound up with, what, 11? 11 for 116 and a tug. And 11 targets, right? Yep. Did he wind up getting a 12th target that he dropped? No, it was 11 on 11 targets. And so, yeah, he was incredible. But, like, his first five catches of the game were the first play of the game, drive starter, always really important. Uh, Then you had two, no, three third downs and then a touchdown. And the third downs were insane, though. Yeah, got to have it. Like, when you got to have it, Kelsey got it. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, that's big. So you got the credit there. And then, as I said, like, the biggest piece of credit is the Chiefs defense holding this Ravens offense that's been studly all year to 10 points. But I do think you make a great point, Ant. Like, the Ravens beat themselves in a lot of ways. And that's got to be really frustrating for them as a group because they have been a team that's kind of been the bully all year. And, I mean, some, you know, this is, I don't know whether this is actually true with bullies. Um, I haven't read any parent enough parenting books because it's not a part of my life yet. But we, we know the old saying, at the very least, is to beat a bully, you you like you bully the bully. Mm-hmm. Like the best way to defeat a bully is to punch him in the face, and um, certainly that worked yesterday for the Chiefs, and it started pregame. Like you know, I I just was scrolling Instagram in the break there, um, and I saw the soundbite from Justin Tucker being like, you know, I thought all that pregame stuff was was in good fun, but they seem to be taken a little bit more seriously. And there's kind of that little bit of like, wait, are these guys crazy? You know, you kind of got that vibe early with like Mahomes and Kelsey. It's like, no, man, get out of our end zone. Like, this is our side of the field. Yeah, you, yeah, sure. Okay, you can warm up, but like not where we are. This is our stuff. Get out. Like, no, seriously, get lost. Yeah. Like, no, like, I'm sure, I'm sure when Travis does the podcast on Wednesday that they will, he'll be like, I have so much respect for Justin Tucker. Like, it's just part of the game. Like, He's the greatest kicker ever. Like Travis will be incredibly humble and um, not deferential. Um, he'll he'll give Justin uh, Tucker his flowers because he deserves them because he's the greatest kicker of all time. He might go to the Hall of Fame as a kicker. He's that good. Um, but like, eventually you're a competitor. And like Mahomes, same thing. Like, oh yeah, you know, greatest of all time. But like at the end of the day, like 
we're just trying to send him like we don't we don't mess around and like using our way so we we got him out of the way and so i think that from from go and also like you know there's a with mahomes there's a little bit of that the mj thing that we saw during last dance there's a little bit of that he's got to get himself riled up he's a competitive psycho which is as high of a compliment as i can give a competitor um and i remember the cbs guys on pregame being like you know don't poke the bear and it looks like someone just poked the bear. Like Justin Tucker was just doing his warm up. He wasn't trying to poke the bear. The bear, you know, it's it's uh you know, when you're in the back seat of the car with your little sibling and it's like you know, hey, you guys play nice back there. Don't touch me and you grab their hand and you you poke them. It's like so and so poked me. Like that's that's what Mahomes did to the Ravens and then he destroyed them early in that game. Um but the the other thing I'll say too about the the penalties and stuff is Outside of the Van Noy one, I thought they were all good calls. And the Van Noy one wasn't a bad call. It's just the one where you're like, and it's the playoffs, like, relax. Mm-hmm. People are, it, it's fine. But technically, it was the correct call. And I think that that Ravens fan, I have no doubt there's a bunch of sad, sore Ravens fans today. And that's not to make fun of Ravens fans. Um, as much fun as that is sometimes. Um, it's That's every fan base the day after they lose. But it's a lot of, like, Blame the refs. They suck. They screwed us. The Isaiah likely. They, yeah, there should have been a PI on that play. But like, that's not a bigger play than Zay Flowers fumbling. That's not a bigger play than Zay Flowers taunting, which is one thousand percent the right call. And those plays are the ones that cost you. And that to me is kind of what happens yesterday. Is the Chiefs are just solid in what they do. The Ravens beat themselves, and the final score reflected that. Yeah, in terms of, like, the Ravens beating themselves, that's been, like, consistent all season. I, I feel like the games that they've lost, and they lost to the Colts. They had a couple – Lamar had a couple of fumbles um, in that game. They lost to the Steelers. He had a couple of fumbles. They lost to the Browns, a couple of interceptions. So it's more so the Ravens, you know, they could have went out and won this game. It's, and, and I was talking to Zaire about it. <laughs> he made me feel a little, you know, dumb for saying it. He was like – because I, I have pointed out that the Ravens had three turnovers and the Chiefs didn't have any. And he was like, yes, that's, you know, winning the turnover battle. And I was like, yeah. Well, it yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, it's so funny. Like, It sounds so cliche. That's it, what it does. Is. And it's like, we got to be better than this in terms of the analysis. But, like, it really is. I was having this conversation actually with Landfill today, um, you know, producer for, for B. Mitch and Finley, uh, for those that don't know. Um, but I was talking to, to Mullins about it. Um, because we were reminiscing about the Alex Smith trade. I can't remember what happened. We're, I think we were making jokes about um, Reed and, you know, oh, darn, he's not going to trade uh, Mahomes to the commanders now, I think is how that started and Landfill is just being a goofball. Um, but then we started talking about actually reminiscing about the Alex Smith trade, and I was like, you know what, I'm so glad I covered him because he made me realize the value of possession. And, you know, he was pretty bad statistically through the nine games that he basically got to play um, before the injury. And... They were, you know, it happened in the ninth game, but they were six and two to that point. So in those eight games, like he had barely thrown over 200 yards in any of those games. Like he was awful statistically, but he never turned it over. And he converted some first downs and like played the shortened the game a little bit, but it just, it was ugly. But you realize the value of that. And I think it's why, you know, all these players like to make fun of me, the media. For simplistic and oh, you know, okay, win the turnover battle. But it's like, then they get in the media and what do they do? Players, coaches, they give you the same stuff. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe it's actually the most important thing. And, you know, how you go about doing that, how you set yourself up for success is like the deeper next level layer of analysis. But I mean, that's huge. The, the, and it, by the way, it's the biggest factor in the other game too. Jameer Gibbs doesn't fumble. I think the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Yep. Um, and the time, and like all turnovers hurt, but the timing and the placement on the field and all that stuff is super duper important too. And the Ravens, you know, obviously about as bad of a place as you can fumble is inches from the goal line. By the way, speaking of that play, sidebar for a moment. For every single person that tells me we can't change the touchback rule on the fumbling the ball out of the end zone because you don't want guys to reach for the goal line without consequences. Guys are going to reach for the goal line. Zay Flowers reached knowing the consequences, and yes, he suffered them because the Chiefs actually recovered the ball. They had to complete the whole thing. And if that ball had been recovered in the end zone by the Ravens, I believe it would have gone back to the spot of the fumble because you can't advance the ball on a fumble. So your argument that, well, guys will just reach for the pylon, reach for the plane, that's what they do. And if the defense doesn't recover, they shouldn't get the football. End of story. Please change that rule this offseason. Okay, thanks. Uh, We'll talk about the NFC game next on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, reminding you that you can come see us live on Friday, 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 live at Bethesda Theater, your favorite radio shows, together for one night and one night only, off-air, on stage, and uncensored. Plus, if you haven't heard the big news Commander's defensive tackle Jonathan Atlin is going to join us on stage as well. Tickets are on sale now at BethesdaTheater.com. We're presented by Main Street Bank. Cheer local bank local. Visit or put their team in your office. Visit MStreetBank.com for more information. Again, John Allen joining us Friday for our live event. Uh, our plans to do the show from the event uh, beforehand, so um, doors aren't going to like we'll probably be done by the time the doors open, but I don't know. Who knows? Anthony, maybe people can just come hang out and see our show on Friday. If you have a ticket to the, the event, can we just open the the place early? Uh, that would be dope. It would be. I don't think that's how this is going to work. No, nope. that seems, that seems like it would probably be some more cost incurred and, uh, some complications of sound checks and whatever else we got to do. I'm trying. I, there is, there is a fun game that I think is going to make the final cut. I'm just going to say that. A fun game that I'm going to host at the expense of other people. I really want to get a, a small game show mic. I want a Bob Barker mic. Like one of the little tiny mics like James uh, Smith-Williams had? No, no, no. Not like the, the tiny social um, media mics. Like Bob Barker like from, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, not Wheel of Fortune. Uh, Big Wheel, Plinko. Price is right. Price is right. Yeah, it's only the music is only sitting right here. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> anyway, the point is, uh, we won't have a Price is Right game. We will have some fun games. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say too much yet. I just, it's going to be a great time. It's all uncensored. It's all off air, and uh, hopefully, no one gets fired or there's no fights. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. I know nothing other than I'm supposed to show up and eventually talk about football. So there's that. Uh, all right. Speaking of talking about football, the 
NFC Championship game, and again, I gave my full breakdown of it earlier, or biggest takeaways, I should say, earlier in first and 10, but like, what, what to you was the biggest thing yesterday? Uh, momentum is definitely a thing. Uh, and also, I just... Funny you say that, because uh, there's going to be a big talk about momentum in our visit with Seth Walter at the top of the hour from momentum, the it's, analytics department. Man. Um, but I just think Dan... Dan, he didn't – I'm not going to say he didn't have a feel for the game, but I feel as though the first fourth and three might have been – I mean, fourth, four, the first fourth down um, attempt might have been more, you know, understandable because it's in the first half, the lines are rolling. All they have to do is really, uh, you know, Josh Rangers just have to hold on to the ball. The second one, I think the Niners had just taken the lead. You can, you know, tie it. Or you can, you know, go for it on fourth and two. Ultimately, they didn't get it. Um, but I just feel as though in that moment, I think you go for the tie. You lean in your defense to try to go out there and get a stop. Um, but at the same time, you can't be too criti- critical of him because of, you know, that being what got them just there. But I just think just understanding uh, the time, the situation in the game, the momentum has swung. I think you take the points as opposed to being uh, uber aggressive. So here's here's what I would tell you on the second one. I think if you have a better kicker, I agree with you. I I think that you are just in a better position not being down. But it's not like it's not guaranteed that you make the kick. And I think sometimes when people go for it and they don't get it, the uh, the uh, what people think is the alternative path is you gave up 3 points. You didn't. You gave up a chance at 3 points and something that uh, from that distance, especially outdoors uh, in San Francisco where the wind is notoriously whippy and um, with Michael Badgley, who's just not that good of an NFL kicker and has a very, very short, like he's he's hyper accurate from short distance, but he does not have range. A 48-yard field goal is for him like on the season, like a 70% proposition. So I, I think to say or to, to pretend like that's not a huge factor is is incorrect. Um, and missing a, a huge part in the decision. Um, but I will also say this. Though, so the first one is first drive of the second half. And to go up three scores, I do wonder, and this this is the thing that um, I want to say the analytics don't capture. Um, but here's where it gets muddy, right? Is does it change the strategy for Kyle? Down two scores you can still be really aggressive running the football. Like the the 49ers are still the 49ers. If you're up three scores, does Kyle feel the need to be a little bit more aggressive and drop Purdy back? Or does he stick to the game plan? And that's where, to be clear, the analytics factor for that. What analytics do is tell you, if you do this and you get it, your win probability is X based off the entirety of whatever data set you're looking at, which is not quite the entirety of NFL history, but like decades of data at this point. If you're up by X amount at this point in the game, you're going to win it 70-whatever percent of the time, yep. right? And if you miss the the kick or you miss the fourth down, it's this. If you make the kick, if you get the fourth down, it, it adjusts your win probability, and you have to look at that information and make a decision, um, and you even have a, a uh, kind of a... a an analytic that takes all that into account and is like, you should go for it. 
And that's what the analytics said. The ESPN's model had it as 0.3% go for it. So you could really justify either way. But where I think the coaching element does come in is understanding who you're playing against and where the strategy. And like, you have to know Kyle Shanahan well enough to know making this affects him how. And if we don't get it, what does that do for him? And it's not so much about momentum versus it changes the way the game is played strategically. And that's where the analytics are important to consider, but having a good scouting report to match with it can inform your position, especially when it's close, especially when it's just a 0.3% more success here or there. Um, but it's like, it's a 50-50 proposition, right? Because it's like, you know, if it's if it's 50.1 versus 48.8, that's 0.3 difference that says you should go, but it's still pretty 50-50. And so if you know that there's more reward on one side of that equation, like you have a coach who's going to get do something dumb, if you get the three points, you're maybe more inclined to get the three points. So it's hard. It's, there's a lot to it. I don't think I actually did that great of a job of explaining it there, but like the strategy element is hard but I think the bigger factor is again the identity piece of it's who they are it's all his team is ready for those moments because that's who they are and the bigger factor is like you know they they have a drop that's brutal it kills them and then on the other side of it you know 49ers go down score and then Jameer Gibbs fumbles on the first play like if the Lions are just able to sustain a drive there they might win the football game mm-hmm and if they get a field goal on that drive or a touchdown or even just punt and pin San Francisco deep, but they like they get a couple of first downs. It's not what happened. And so I think that's the bigger thing. Like the Detroit mistakes in the second half, which is why like if people want to take shots at Ben Johnson today, he called a great game. They scored yeah. 31, and they probably score 40 if they get Josh Reynolds to catch two balls and Jameer Gibbs to not fumble one. Like that's what that was the difference in the game. Yeah. Um, and not to put it all on those guys, obviously the the defense could have stepped up. I talked earlier about how I think Aaron Glenn made a strategic error in changing something he was doing that was working. Um, but that to me is where that game goes sideways. All right, let's get to this conversation with Seth Walder, uh, ESPN analytics guru next on the Hoffman show. Final hour of the Hoffman show on the team 980, always live as well on the free odyssey app. And it's our pleasure to welcome back to the show ESPN Seth Walter. He leads up their analytics department. And uh, Seth, interesting uh, interesting couple days for you. You literally wrote an article four days ago for ESPN.com titled uh, something along the lines of how fourth down decisions actually work. Um, and lo and behold, here we are. Dan Campbell in the spotlight, not shockingly, uh, considering the coaches we're talking about here for his decision-making uh, against the Lions. So, uh Congrats on your prescience, I guess, is where I would start. Thank you. Well, you know, it's just, I mean, odds are there's going to be a fourth down conversation and it does, when big games are played and it certainly it certainly happened. Uh, it's, it's not new, but it's going to keep going. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Okay, so let's just get right into it. Most direct way I can ask it. What did you make of Dan Campbell's decisions to go for it on those two fourth downs in the second half yesterday and why? I think that in both cases, they were effectively toss-ups. So 
when you look at our numbers, they show a super close decision. Uh, in both cases, we narrowly, narrowly preferred going for it. So I'm talking 0.3% uh, to go for it and 0.2% to go for the first one. So really close calls and and close calls too if you look at another way we like to look at it, it would be the difference between the break even percentage the percentage required uh to to convert in order for you to justify going for it and what we expect them to have they were super close so right on the on the edge and to me that means either option is acceptable and there has to be that situation i think we criticize coaches a lot of times for punting typically when we say they ought to go for it. Had Dan Campbell kicked in these spots, that would not have been a situation where I would have criticized because it, because it was so close. But the same has to be true the other direction. Uh, and I do think that ultimately we shade that way. And I will say this. I think that the people often say, well, does the model take into account this? Does the model take into account that? And there are certainly factors that are outside the purview of the model. And that's why that's why I say when it's close, okay, well, maybe there's something that the coach can justify one way or another. To me, the biggest thing that we're missing here is, is kicker-specific stuff, and that should right. have only led the Lions in an outdoor game with a below-average kicker. That should have only led them more towards going for it. That's exactly what I was going to ask. So can and you, I'm going to ask this specifically, and, and uh, you can answer as generally as you want in answering the specific question, but – like how much of personnel does a model like yours factor in? And I guess like the one B to that, that's actually kind of the more important question is like, how different are the numbers that Dan Campbell is looking at and that his analytics people are looking at that might fact, because like they, the analytics people that work in the NFL don't go to ESPN.com's analytics site and be like, oh, this is what that, no, they do the math themselves and they might have slightly different formulas. So how different are the formulas that Campbell is considering versus say what you're looking at? So, okay, a couple of good questions in there. How different? I don't know. Uh, I, have, I have no, there's no way for me to know what, exactly what the Lions are looking at. I will say the Lions, Dan Campbell, they tend to be one of the most optimal organizations when it comes to game management. They hug very close to what we, we would say are the correct decisions most of the time. Uh, he's in the conversation, I would say, for best game management coach that, in, that, in that way, or best fourth down coach. Uh, are there factors like that, that could be considered that would be outside the purview of the model? Yeah. Yeah. And, and could it be even game plans or sorry, game specific, right? Could you have a situation where you say, uh, we're going against this opponent. Um, they have a really weak run interior. So maybe that's going to push us a little more one way or, uh, but their, their corners are, I think kind of have the advantage over us. So if it's fourth and long, maybe we nudge the other way. Those are reasonable factors, but if you are factoring those in, and I think this is important, that has to work in both directions. A lot of times we hear coaches give this explanation of saying, well, you know, the analytics guys, the analytics folks said, you know, we should go for it, but they don't usually throw them under the bus, but they might say, well, you know, given, given X or given Y, I decided to punch or kick. What you never hear, and I think what you have to hear is, well, the folks upstairs, they said numbers-wise we had to punt, but I just felt like we were running all over them. So I said, we're just going to go for it. We're going to we're going to we're going to run the ball here. 
And, and you have to be willing to have that error in both directions. There's also limits to those errors. So that's why a lot of times it's like, we'll say, okay, the break-even conversion probability is like 38%, say, right? And we estimate that your chance to- but Just real quick, Seth, for the audience, can you, can you kind of give us a two-line definition of that break-even uh, Right. So what, when I say break-even, what I mean is uh, the, the chance of conversion in order to justify going for it. So let's say you're facing a situation, it's fourth down. We could say you need at least a 38% chance to justify going for it. Okay. Now we ESPN might estimate that you have a 50% chance of converting. There's no world where you can justify, I don't think that 12% gap. Like you can't, you, if it's, if it's really close, you could say it could be one of those things. Our, oh, our, our tackle is out. Oh, their corner's playing really well. But if it's a big gap, I just don't see how you, how you can justify going for it. And, and, but, but again, coming back to Detroit, these were small gaps. I think either option really was justifiable. And I think that the criticism of, so because there's been so much criticism of Dan Campbell, I think that's been misplaced. Um, obviously like in some ways, these models factor in everything because you're taking in all of the data from all of the games and you're not like, you're kind of relying on, on the mass of data to ultimately even out some of these intricacies of individual situations. Um, and I I think that's like another interesting factor here, right? Like your model has incorporated results from bad weather games, from indoor games, from, you know, tackles being out, tackles being there. Like your model ultimately does all of that. Um, I know one thing that we've talked about in the past is like kind of that game feel stuff, the the strategy, the momentum. Um, and, and is there like how how does the model account for let's say the first decision that Campbell makes? You know, there it's fourth and short, uh, relatively short. I think it's fourth and three on the twenty eight yard line, and they have a chance to go up three scores. Like I know that there is stuff in the model in terms of like win percentage, or in the models I should say in terms of win percentage. That, that ultimately help inform that decision. So I guess what I'm really asking is like, what what kind of data is Campbell considering as he considers going for it versus not in a situation where a lot of the traditional analysis revolves around go up three scores at this point in the game? Yeah, so yeah, so that's the fourth and two from the from the 28. They're up 14. Yeah, fourth and two. Yeah, yeah. Left in the third quarter. Uh, you're right. Yeah, you could look at it sort of simply and say, hey, we can go up three scores here. And there's value in that, but that is baked into the model. So the model is looking at the situation that's say, saying, uh, okay, what's the what's the probability we convert if we go for it? What's the win probability if we convert? The win probability if we fail. And then again, what's the probability win probability if we convert the kick or and win probability that we miss the kick weighted by the probability of making the kick? I do think it's really important to say you cannot guarantee there was no guarantee you were making that field goal, right? It right. Was a, it, right? It's a 46 yard field goal uh, outdoors. So uh, probably you make it probably, but you also might not. Um, it's all baked in. When we come down, when we, when we say 90.5% chance to win, if you go for it, 90.3% chance, if you kick, that is all baked in the, the, the positive and negative outcomes. When it comes to momentum and your question, right, the sort of game feel, what I would say about momentum is I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying no one has ever shown any evidence that it does. Like people have tried to show, I'm open to seeing evidence, but I I haven't seen any yet. 
So if, if someone's out there and they want to prove it statistically, then let's see it. But to your point, when we past games had momentum too, if that existed. And so right. in some ways you could say that's you can, in some ways you could say that's, that's baked in. Um, but again, I show, show me, show me it's real without just like hand waving that the belief that it is real. No, I hear you. Seth, uh, Seth Walter is our guest uh, from ESPN. He heads their analytics department. And this is like, this is where I struggle. And I think a lot of people that play, like I believe in analytics. I believe in numbers. I believe in data um, in a major, major way. I thoroughly enjoy our conversations and having you on and, and reading your work. And like, if I was a head coach, I would rely so heavily on data. But like, if you like the reason we all love sports uh, is because of like the emotion. And, and I think there's a huge psychology element as well and and i'm i'd be curious if anybody could study like kind of that intersection of like because my best um my best retort my best attempt at playing like devil's advocate to the momentum thing would be like there is a lot of psychological study about you know something that would kind of be a cousin of momentum in terms of like fear and anxiety and what's happening within the brain and the body on those lines and how a group can move towards one and why like that's why you get like oh leadership is so important because you can change that momentum and you can dispel those fears I, the problem i guess is when you bump into analytics is none of that is quantifiable um none of that is in any way measurable even if all of us as human beings have experienced it as part of the human experience in or outside of sports i think it it should be quantifiable if it's real though so like when with momentum right people say Okay, what causes momentum? Like, a, say, like a, a big turnover, right? Uh, or right, I think people say, oh, that's a momentum. So, like, for instance, right in the in the game yesterday, you have the Ayuk catch off the helmet. Like, mm, it felt yeah. like the game swung on that moment. Your model's not going to go win percentage Niners way up at that moment because there's no score change, anything like that. But I think those everyone watching it is like, wow, that's such a that's such a moment, you know. Oh, dis- wait, hang on though. Disagree. The win, the win probability moved dramatically because they completed like a 50 yard pass. And sure, so fair. Yeah, yeah. I think typically what happens is people are saying momentum when they mean is the last play just changed the win probability significantly. And so like if momentum's real, right, then after a turnover, we should expect that teams win more than their win probability suggests, right? Like, or they should score on the next ensuing drive more than they more than they otherwise would. But we don't see that. And so, if if there's a, if there's a psychological component, then it should bear out that if we can predict it, right? Can we say in the moment before it happens it's going to happen? So I think people just tend to mistake momentum, which should be essentially like future win win probability it's almost like a, a derivative of win probability saying like you're it should be higher than expected going forward with what actually just saying oh win probability just changed significantly right so there's a huge play maybe that was due to a tactical shift that's the thing that actually changed the game not some nebulous momentum like the, the win percentage changed and because of a big play because Kyle Shanahan figured out what Aaron Glenn was doing on defense Right. Yeah. I mean, I think say that again. You're saying that the win probability. So like, like when we talk about like the idea of momentum versus 
uh, some like big play. Like one, the big play, the 51 yard gain changes the win probability because yeah. it's a 51 yard play that sets them up in scoring position. But also sometimes like what is confused as or what you're saying is what is confused as momentum might actually just be an upward trajectory in the win probability for one team based off of, say, an adjustment a coach made where now each play they're having more success than they had before, but ultimately over time it's not going to outperform the the model, if you will, because it's not some psychological momentum thing. It's, it's actual an actual difference on the field in the plays that are made. I see what you're saying. I don't know. I'm, I know what, what I was trying to say is more just that what changed was IU caught a deep ball. And so that yeah. moves the win probability. And that's that's it. The Lions had a 73% chance to win after the IU pass, right? Which was a big drop from 84% or something like that right before. What I'm saying is at that moment, they had a 73% chance to win. The Lions did. Someone arguing for momentum would argue that they had a lower chance to win. And so that's measurable, I think. If we can identify plays that are supposed momentum swingers, then teams should win more than their win probability suggests. I haven't seen that demonstrated anywhere. I think I, I'm open to it. But until until it happens, like I think our default should be that win probability is win probability. Right. And right. so if the Lions come back and score the next drive, then your momentum-changing play is, is dead, and that happens far more often than I think people – would want to admit. Uh, by the way, one more question for you real quick on yesterday. When Harbaugh went for it inside his own 20-yard line in the other game, in the AFC game, what was was that was that a smart move? Because that felt insane. And then we forget about it because they get it and they just continue marching on and ultimately they lose the game for other reasons. But um, that felt crazy at the time. And I just, since, since you uh, probably were paying close attention to that and might have had the numbers in front of you, I figured I would ask real quick. Yeah, so this is down... 10, fourth and three at their own 18, right? Yeah. With 847 left. Yeah, so we supported that move. That was a um, that was a go for us. Uh, I think that I'm so glad you brought it up though, because because they convert and they lose. So I haven't heard anybody talking about that play today until you until you mentioned it. Right, and right. I think it just goes to show this sort of asymmetry of the situation we have, right? Like where they, I mean, if they had failed and they lost, then are we talking about, are we talking about that today? Like, is that running on all the shows? And that just shows because we are not measuring, we are trying to measure the decision, not the outcome. And so much of what determines about what gets talked about is the outcome. And that is a mistake. So uh, yeah, that was a good decision. It was Probably controversial because they get it. Everybody just moves on. The drive continues. I do think about one last thing here, which is that when this is the asymmetry, I think that causes fourth down blowback, which is that if you convert a fourth down, the drive just continues. And so like the biggest play of the drive has yet to occur because like later they will go score a touchdown or later they will throw an interception. And so that's the big play. But when you fail the fourth down conversion, then the biggest play of the drive was a failure. And so it seems like the fourth down is is so catastrophic. And that's why we end up talking about fourth downs only when they don't work. Right. And in that particular case, like you go for it, you get it, you still lose. It doesn't guarantee anything, which I think where people get really twisted. Right. It's like, 
there are it's it's all percentages and you know uh, a 55 45 is a go, a go is still 55 45 go but you're gonna be on the wrong end of it 45 percent of the time and that's still gonna feel like a lot um but that's that's the game is that uh last question for you seth walter from espn is our guest there's been a lot we don't need to name names unless you want to call anybody out in particular go ahead um we, i don't i kind of in the business of i don't give people starving for attention attention but there have been like you know thought pieces today on analytics and all this you know just people trying to take their pot shots what to you is like the biggest miss on the the narrative today biggest miss on the narrative by the way, while Seth thinks of his biggest one, if you want a couple of really good ones, uh, you can head to his Twitter page at Seth Walter. Highly recommend doing that. But what's for the for the radio audience here who might not have Twitter? Here's the mistake I think a lot of people make, which is they say, you know, oh, zero point three percent. That's not enough to justify going going for it instead of the default kicking. There is no default, right? First of all, like. Every time you're making a choice, kick, punt, go. Those are your three options. And when, num- again, I'm saying that either option was acceptable for the Lions. But right, right. if we're following the quantitative analysis, if something is saying 0.3% better, it's it's just better. You would, if someone t- gave you a button and said you have a zero point, you can increase your chance to win by 0.3%, you can hit it or not hit it. Of course you would hit it. Will it matter? Probably, probably that's probably not going to be the difference in the game, but it could be. Or, you know, I mean, every, I think that, you know, the analogy I used was like, if someone offered you a hundred thousand dollar salary or a hundred thousand dollar and three hundred thousand and three hundred dollar salary, what do you take? Or like my colleague said, like, if you're sick and you're offered two treatments, one as a, uh, 50% chance to work and one is a 50.3% chance to work. And, and the doctor's saying, and these are the, this is the truth, right? Like these are the two numbers. What are you choosing? So uh, I think there's a lot of, it's okay. Like there, these are, this is a complicated question. It's good to talk about it. Um, it but there are some, some arguments that I think, I think fall flat. Yeah. Uh, my favorite one was that uh, data scientists are making more in the NFL than they yeah. are on Amazon. That was a fun one. That was a personal favorite. That's just me. Uh, I say that people need to get out more. Uh, Seth Walter, ESPN, uh, appreciate your time as always, sir. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up here fairly soon down the road. Craig, if I can just correct you on one thing, I'm just I'm not the head of our analytics group. I don't want to I don't want to put that out there. Okay. Brian Burke does our does our our fourth down models, and I'm just the face of uh, just the face of the team. But uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of hard working folks that I work with. Absolutely, no, Absolutely. I appreciate that a lot. Thanks, man. Thank you. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Wizards game day. Oh, we talked a lot of football, obviously, today. Championship weekend in the books. We are on to Super Bowl 58, which you'll hear right here live on the Team 980. Of course, our show will be headed to Las Vegas and Radio Row next week. Uh, I'll be here Monday. I got a short show while I'm traveling uh, Tuesday and then Wednesday through Friday. We are on Radio Row in Las Vegas. already have some people booked. Uh, incredible lineup pending and a bunch of other stuff in the works and we're excited uh to go out there and be at the epicenter of the football world but as i said it is a wizards game day which means it's time to talk to our guy dave johnson time to get the radio party started 
Oh, boy, did he stuff him. Weapon pull, it's wow. there. Oh, that's a pool party. Yeah, the basket snap right there. And they're stealing the oh, slam. You better go off. Intercepted by Kispert. Kispert now, foul line. Oh, slam. Ooh, that'll jar your preserves. It's time for Dave Johnson on a Wizards game day. Kuzma for three. Oh, it's there. It's there. Big, big shot. On the Hoffman Show. Dave joins us from San Antonio. Uh, Dave, had you have you had quality Mexican food since you arrived? And if not, why not? <laughs> well, no, you know, because I'm just not that sophisticated. I'm sharing that with you and, and your listening audience. I had a salmon Caesar salad, which is probably I could get anywhere in the country, but I got it last night. So it's, I, I've had a very uh, boring excursion uh, food-wise here in, in, in San Antonio, although I'm, I'm staying in an uh, area that's got quite a history about the, the pearl brewing. And it's a hotel they, they turned, used to be the Pearl Brewing Company. They turned in uh, to a ho- hotel, which, which is quite fascinating and has uh, uh, quite a story that I could start to tell you where that would take the next 15 minutes. But, but the real story here in, in San Antonio, that while I've not had good food, uh, I, you probably saw the viral video over the weekend, or I guess every video is viral, uh, about the Spurs mascot, Coyote, catching the bat. Yes. Did you see that? So uh, the, what was amazing and was certainly questioned by the announcers on that video is this bat was flying around the court here uh, in San Antonio. If you remember years ago, Manu Ginobili actually caught the bat. A bat I, I do remember bat. that, yeah. Right. Well, th- this time, Coyote is, is out in a Batman costume uh, with a butterfly, or I guess a bat net, um, and they're playing bat music, but it's a real bat. And so... It really looks like a, a setup or something that, that they would stage or script for during one of the timeouts. But I've seen a lot of trained animals in my life, including, you know, the Atlanta Hawks. And it's a little bit scary. Uh, on their home, whenever we've been there for their home opener, a real hawk comes down from the, the top of the arena. And uh, all of a sudden it gets dark and you realize the darkness is from the shadow of being cast by their wings. I mean, hawks are huge yeah. birds. And you're just thinking, my God. I hope it lands on that guy's arm because otherwise we're all going to scramble. Uh, I don't think you can train bats. And, and uh, so I, I did ask, and apparently this, the mascot here in San Antonio, Coyote, is, is so clever, so fast. He, he saw the bat flying around. He ran down the hall, got into his Batman costume, and came out and caught the bat. And the, the bat's okay, by the way. But, um, you know, the way he was able to turn that in I don't know if there's any into an act, basically, even though it was really catching a bat, because, you know, that, uh, a bat flying around can make patrons uncomfortable. That's uh, just a, a, a you know, hunch. Uh, so yeah, I would not be psyched if there's a bat, a bat right. flying around. No. Yeah, no. And, no, no, no. and, and bats are, are good for us, and they, they, you know, eat bugs and all that other kind of stuff, but it just it, it does make you kind of nervous. I think it has something to do with a Hitchcock movie or, or whatever. But uh, the point being, if there's some mascot awards for best impromptu act, it's got to go to Coyote, the Spurs mascot. Who could possibly argue with that? No one. Yeah, no, I Abs- don't think. No, I don't, absolutely no. no. I think we settled it. Yeah, we did, and that's that's our time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we have we have more time. Uh, <laughs> Dave Johnson is with us uh, from San Antonio, the home of uh, great Mexican food, which he has not enjoyed, and tales of mascot uh, bat bravery, which he has. Uh, now we know uh, the the highlight tonight, Dave, is the. Uh, two former teammates, Bilal Kulabali and some guy named Victor Wembenyama, Wemben, yeah. I think it's yeah. pronounced. Yeah, yeah. Um, they'll be they'll be going at it 
Uh, and obviously, seeing Wemby in person is is uh, a sight to see. Um, I still think the best one of the season so far. Well, there's been a couple of great just reaction memes. Uh, guys getting dunked on, whatever. They're just like, what happened to me? Uh, Joel Embiid right. walking by him the other day just being like, wow, okay. And then, of course, yeah. Joel decided yeah. to drop 70 points, so there was that. Um, but you you got to see him a couple weeks ago. You see him again tonight. What was your first impression impression of the rookie phenom? Uh, again, it's just uh, he he's just so smart. I, I get the the other things you actually you see, and obviously you know he's got the athleticism. Uh, you know the old joke about you can't teach size and, and that type of thing. But but having said that, you can't you know you can't just it's not just about being that tall. It's how you, in, in some ways you're, you're even more challenged to be. Uh, able to to navigate a, a, an NBA basketball game with that that frame, uh, and he he does it seemingly effortlessly. It just uh, smooth is the word that that comes to mind, and and you know I, I have to say it, it is cool, and I mean, it's going to be cool tonight to see they were not on the court a lot at the same time last week or when whenever we played the Spurs at home, but uh, but they were at sometimes, and and uh, you know it's the same things we've been saying about Bilal Kulabali. He's just He's smart. He plays the game well. It's it's yes, Victor Wembanyama certainly can you know poster the entire league and et cetera. But you appreciate just his understanding of, of subtle nuances of a game that is that is more akin to an NBA veteran. So uh, yeah, I mean, no wonder everybody you know this time last year was was all the you know he's going to be number one, number one, number one. Of course he was number one, um, and, and and just seeing it. It develop and also you realize that that he clearly is going to be the face of our league for some time and and just how he he represents the game and how he respects uh the game is 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 good for anybody that's a basketball fan i think yeah without question um he's averaging 20 and 10 on the year i actually be curious dave um i, I want to circle back i we must talk about marvin bagley because we have promised a, a marvin bagley conversation and then of course, we had the news last week, and he had a great game on on uh, the weekend over against his former team and all that. But you know, I look at Wembenyama's numbers, and he's averaging twenty and ten. I'm kind of scrolling through the games tonight, and Luke is averaging thirty four a game. We've seen the the seventy pieces from Embiid, and then um, whoever else had it the other day. We've had enough seventy point games that it doesn't immediately pop to mind who the other guy was. That is that is where we are with scoring in the NBA right now. Right. As a guy who's covered the, this league and called games as long as you have, like, what what is like what's your kind of take, if you will, on where we're at with the pace of the game and the ease of which, uh, especially individual players, are accumulating these massive amounts of points. Well, and you know, it, it has to do, in, in my opinion, just just with the three point shot is it just is is more and more even since I you know I've been doing it twenty eight years and I've just watched you know, that become a more a part of the game. And, and even, you know, when I started, it was part of the game, but not like it is now. And not like, uh, you know, everyone shoots threes. That, that you know, I think about, uh, you know, when, when I started on this, this journey in the mid-90s, that wasn't the case. So I, I think that, you know, speaks to a lot of, you know, first of all, why Will Chamberlain's 100-point game, I know it was a different time and era, is still, you know, so impressive because, I mean, there was no three-pointers for Wilt, not that he was going to take any, Three pointers, if that was available, but um, I, you know, we talk about it now that that you know when you, when you keep a team to one fifteen or one twenty, that's 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 considered a great defensive performance. Where you know, once upon a time and not that long ago, uh, we we talked about teams that were you know, the great defensive teams were holding 
you know, teams around 100 points a game. So it just, um, you know, the, it, it's it's happened. It's it's the way the game has evolved. I hate to keep using the word evolved over over time, but it, it's everything from, you know, you go back to the 70s and the hand check and et cetera. It's it's everything has trended. Uh, to make the game more offensive, and that's probably true of a lot of sports. Uh, but then certainly the the uh, the, the the ability and uh, relative, uh, I was going to say ease, but at least ability and the number of threes that are now a part of the game. I think that that speaks to why we keep seeing these, you know, seventy point totals. No doubt, and of course, Luca. I literally just said his name. Luca was the other guy who had seventy at the seventy three. Uh, against the Hawks the other night. Uh, all right, Dave, wrapping up uh, here ahead of Wizards and Spurs tonight. Um, let's talk about Bagley. Just what, like, what has he been able to do here that has kind of unlocked him in a way that a former number two pick had seemed to have been battling to find his way in the league and just the freedom that he's playing with? Like, what, what has stuck out to you about uh, not only his individual performance, but what he's meant for the Wizards since he's been here? Well, you know, he, he showed as, as a starter with us before Daniel Gaffer returned. He can be a, a 20 and 10 guy. Again, it was a small sample size, but, but also you respect, you know, he, he, can, he has been coming off the bench and being a, you know, 14 7 guy, 14 points, 7 rebounds. Again, I, I can't speak to why it never clicked in other places because he's, he's um, I, I, first of all, a smart player. He, he plays the game the right way. Um, uh, he, 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 you don't have to call a play for him. He's going to make things happen, and and he he is uh, just relentless. Uh, we, we we've noticed this in the, the few weeks that he's been with us. That a play is never over till he says it's over. In other words, until he's given his last bit of effort to keep that rebound alive. And that's how you, you know, you get you know, look. The Wizards are coming up a season high sixteen offensive rebounds on, on Saturday. The, the the reason the Wizards' record is what it is. That that is, and you can look it up. And I don't even know how many times they've out rebounded opponents this year, and they did on Saturday. But I think it's only like four or five now. Uh, and the Wizards would have more victories, plain and simple, uh, if if they had, you know, had the players. Quite frankly, and Marvin Bagley is one of those players to be a, a, a better rebounding team. As much as we talk about, uh, you know, it, it, three point shooting and things like that, it, it, it you know. The ability to compete on the boards, it means in so many ways. A, it either means you're getting a defensive stop or, you know, second chance points on the, on the offensive end. So, um, and, and he's coming to Washington. And this, again, is, is people, I think it's important to know that, that, you know, we signed up for this, when I say we, I mean, I think a lot of fans were saying, all right, let's, let's build it over. But then when you've, you know, lost whatever, 30-some games, it, it does get frustrating, but but you get excited when uh, you get a player like Marvin Bagley who says, all right, this is my chance. This is my audition. This is my opportunity. Uh, I, I want to be uh, somebody in the NBA. I don't want to just be uh, the number two overall pick that, that never really reaches full potential. And you, in a team game, you can't force yourself uh, to reach full potential, but here he certainly – has that opportunity, and that's that's exciting. If, from a, from a, if you're a Wizards fan, and you're over the next year and a half, you're looking at all right, who's really going to stick with this team going forward? And he has a great chance to do that. Yeah, without question. Um, I, I've been so impressed with him, and it's also just been nice. You know, we talk about what he did as a starter when when Gaff was out, but 
I think for the team, having the two of them and having two real bigs has been a huge, huge thing. First for Wes, obviously for Brian Keefe, uh, who we will certainly talk about more this week, his early impact on this club. Uh, so we will do that uh, ahead of Wednesday's game against the Clippers. And Dave, I'm hoping to see you on Wednesday, so that'll be fun. Uh, enjoy the rest of San Antonio. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll see you back at Capital One Arena uh, yeah, no, in a couple no, of days. I'm looking yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Capital One Arena. Just, you know, just uh, – well, we'll probably get you to come on a little bit just so you can, you know, we get you ready for Las Vegas because you're going to knock it in Las Vegas. I can't wait till you're at Las Vegas next week and I can listen to the show out there. So uh, we look forward to seeing it in a couple of weeks. That always, sounds... Appreciate the time and, and I'll keep looking for stories like the uh, successful trapping of bats, but also humanely done. Story time with Dave is, is really what we do this for. So that sounds great. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. All right, that is Dave Johnson with us here on the Team 980, live from San Antonio. Uh, that is an 8 o'clock tip tonight, so you get a little bit of BetMGM tonight coming up at 7, and then you get pregame at 7.45. When we get back here on the Hoffman Show, we wrap things up for the day with real things real people said into real microphones. Wrapping up here on the Hoffman Show, Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And do not forget, 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 live is this Friday night at Bethesda Theater. Your favorite radio shows together for one night off air, on stage, and uncensored. Plus, a uh, special guest just announced today, Commander's Defensive Tackle, John Allen. Yes, that is right, Jonathan Allen will be with us on stage in Bethesda. Tickets are on sale now at BethesdaTheater.com. And uh, especially, I mean, they started going quicker over the weekend, but uh, especially since our announcement of John Allen this morning, tickets are going fast. So you definitely would like to get them immediately. Uh, BethesdaTheater.com is the location for that. And this is all thanks to our good friends at Main Street Bank. Cheer local, bank local. Put their team in your office. Visit MStreetBank.com for more information. All right, uh, Anthony, what do we have on the show tomorrow? It's a great question, Craig. Well, it's Tuesday, which means we should have Linnell. We the, should. Now, that's been a little bit sketchy as of late, but we should have Linnell. I do believe that that is, that is in the works. Um, vibe check, as we will have also interviews with, uh, for multiple head coaching candidates. Mm -hmm. So there's always a chance of news. Um, I do think that there's a very small chance that there's anything that comes to agreement. But I guess if like if they've interviewed everyone today and tomorrow and like if Ben Johnson's the last guy they interview tomorrow and they're like, you know what? We're good. Like this is our guy. I guess tomorrow we're kind of on coach watch. A lot of people seem to think it's going to be Thursday, but yeah, I mean, also tomorrow's just a weird day because apparently they're supposed to be meeting Johnson in Detroit, but also Dan Quinn is supposed to be getting his in-person interview. In well, that's, that's what I'm saying is like, are we on Coach Watch tomorrow I think during this hour of the show, right? So they let's say they meet with Dan Quinn for three hours in the morning. You know, mm -hmm. Quinn gets to the facility at 8 a.m., 11 o'clock, they're done. They get on Josh Harris's private jet. It's Harris, it's Peters, it's everybody I think the the problem though is aren't they also interviewing Aaron Glenn tomorrow? I don't know. I, I know I, I feel saw like they Johnson are. and I saw Quinn for tomorrow. I mean, they have to interview Glenn. Yeah. Um. As well, one because they've told him they could, and two, like, hate to like just be blunt, this blunt about this, but like they need to interview Glenn to satisfy the Rooney rule. 
They will take that interview seriously, to be very clear. Aaron Glenn is a legitimate candidate who should be getting coaching interviews, but without it, they are not in compliance. So they have to interview Aaron Glenn. Um, and I am, it sounds like, but they, aren't they also interviewing McDonald? Or did that happen today? I, I don't know. To, yeah. I don't it, it, know. It's too many moving parts. Too many moving parts. I do think Johnson's tomorrow night. So maybe they get to Detroit around one o'clock. They interview Glenn from one to four, take a break. Johnson, you know, five to whatever. And if they, you know, they get into the first hour with Johnson and they're like, this is the guy. And then it's like, do you want a five-year contract for X amount? Yeah. Somebody call Adam Schefter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe as we're going off the air tomorrow. God, that would mean we'd have to stay. Do you have anything tomorrow night? Tomorrow night. Tuesday. January 30th. No. Okay. I hope that's not what we have to deal with. But just saying, there's a could chance. It'll be, be interesting. There's a chance. Um, news loves to break right as our show ends. Yes. Beal trade, Shepard fired, all kinds of stuff. All right. Uh, so we're on Coach Watch starting tomorrow. Uh, right now, we're on a watch for real things. The real people said into real microphones. Real things. We're not going to be sucked this year. Real people. 5 and 11. Not very good. Said into real microphones. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Oh, those numbers you flashed, Anthony. That is not a lot of time. Uh, let's go with this. Uh, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, big catch yesterday off that poor, poor Lions defender's helmet. But he knew that he was going to get lucky. Tell us all about that catch. Before the game, a ladybug landed on my shoe. Come on. And y'all know what that means. So that's all I can say, because I don't know. I don't know. Just great luck. God was with us today. Great win. Bang, bang, Niner gang. It's crazy. Bang, bang, Niner gang. It was a ladybug, Anthony. Lady luck was on the side of the Niners. Damn it! Which catch was more impressive, Ayuk's or Lamar's? That's pretty close. They were it both sick. Close. Like, Lamar's awareness and his ability to just scoop it and go was pretty sick. Yeah. Ayuk, the concentration is incredible. They're both lucky, too. I don't know. It's a great question. It's a great question. All right. I'll ponder it and perhaps uh, give you a straight answer tomorrow. It's the Hoffman Show on the team, 980.